Welcome to Back to Basics, a new series from the Women's Health Cast. Over the next several episodes, we will answer some of the most common questions about sexual and reproductive health and provide resources for parents and supportive adults who may want to start having these conversations with the kids in their lives. Guest experts Dr. Ryan Lewellwitz and Dr. Paula Cody will bring us back to the basics of anatomy, gender, sexuality, the menstrual cycle, safe sex, sexually transmitted infections, birth control, bodily autonomy, and so much more. In this first episode, we tackle the basics of anatomy and puberty. Why is it so important to learn and use correct anatomical terms when we are learning about bodies, development, and sexual and reproductive health? When should children learn anatomically correct terms for body parts, and what even are those body parts? What is puberty, and when does it typically happen? There's a lot to cover in this conversation. Dr. Lowellwitz is an obstetrician-gynecologist in the UW School of Medicine and Public Health Department of OBGYN. He has a special interest in contraception management of all types. Dr. Cody is a pediatrician in the UW School of Medicine and Public Health Department of Pediatrics. She works with adolescents and young adults with a special interest in eating disorders, sexuality and reproductive health, menstrual disorders, and high-risk behaviors. From the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and this is the Women's Health Cast. I am very excited to introduce something a little bit new for the Women's Health Cast. We are embarking on a series of Back to Basics. We are going to drill down to the very basics of sex, sexual health, reproduction, gender, the whole experience, and I am really, really pleased to be joined by two incredible guests who will be helping us through. We've got Dr. Ryan Lewellwitz from the UW Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Dr. Paula Cody from the UW School of Medicine and Public Health Department of Pediatrics. Thank you both so much for uh, joining me for being part of this experience. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a bunch. Appreciate it. I would love to start by hearing a little bit about your jobs, kind of your area of expertise and what you do day to day. Um, We'll start with Dr. Cody. Can you tell me a little bit about your day job and your area of expertise? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, So like she said, my name is Dr. Paula Cody. I am the medical director of adolescent medicine for the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. And what adolescent medicine specialty means is that I did three years of residency in pediatrics and an additional three years of fellowship in adolescent medicine. My specialty includes the sexual and reproductive health of teenagers and young adults, as well as medical management of eating disorders. So for my typical day, um, four days a week, I'm with the UW Department of Peds. um, And one day a week, I'm with the University of Wisconsin University Health Services College Health doing the medical management of eating disorders for students on campus. And Dr. Lelowitz, tell me a little bit about your expertise. Yeah, uh, I'm a um, OBGYN with the University of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, I My practice mainly focuses on obstetrics and contraception. I do a lot of IUD insertions and talking to patients about um, just, you know, contraception in general. So this Back to Basic series was your idea, Dr. Lelowitz. And I want to know a little bit about your hopes and your goals for this series and who you think can benefit from the information that we're going to share over this next handful of episodes. Yeah. So I did a podcast with you a couple of months ago about syphilis and my youngest or actually my oldest child um, asked if he could listen to it. And there was a lot of information in that podcast that 
we hadn't talked about as um i guess we just, i just hadn't discussed it with him yet and i thought hey you know it'd be great to have a podcast that would be a stepping off place for people to one <clears throat> either learn more about health and sexuality um and then potentially even share it with their children so that they could learn more. And then it could be a discussion, you know, a starting point for the discussion between parents and their children. Um, so that's that's the hope here. I'm hoping that we're going to get back to just basic, you know, terms, basic anatomy, you know, functions. And then hopefully either the listeners can gain something from this or use this as a tool to help educate others in their families. I am really excited that we're doing this too. You know, you mentioned um, being able to open up a conversation with young people, but well, we as the podcast team also get a lot of feedback from adults who like learn new things in new episodes or have sort of knowledge gaps that I'm, I'm excited to try and fill some of those in with this next bunch of episodes. So thank you so much, both of you for being here with us. Well, this is my favorite thing to talk about. So I'm ready. Awesome. <laughs> Um, we're going to start our first episode today is about anatomy and puberty. So I think we're going to kind of take it back to the very basics of um, what our bodies are, what the parts of our bodies are, what they do, um, kind of really starting from the ground up. And before we dive into the anatomy, you know, why is it so important to learn and use the correct anatomical terms when we're learning about our bodies, when we're learning about development and sexual and reproductive health? Like, what is the value in just laying out the correct terms kind of from the get-go? I'll take that one. Um, so child psychologists and educators and even the American Academy of Pediatrics um, say it's very important for children to know the correct titles for, um, d titles for different body parts, regardless if it's the arm or if it's the vagina or the vulva or the penis. Um, we need to know the correct anatomical names for all body parts. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, when we assign euphemisms for body parts, that um, makes people feel like it's something to be ashamed of. So if you're calling a penis, you know, a wiener or a wee wee or something, that makes it um, that it's not it's a different kind of body part than your arm, and it should be you shouldn't be talking about it the same as you do your arm, even though it's it's a body part just the same. So. Um, we don't want to give the impression that these body parts are embarrassing or shameful because if they're embarrassed, they're less likely to ask questions about them. And they're also um, research showing that they're less likely to tell you if something bad happens to them because they, they associate those body parts with shame. Now, giving the correct name is you, you um, are more likely to give a positive body image and open the door for um, honest dialogue and making sure that they know it's not embarrassed, it's not shameful that you have this body part. And with that, though, it's also important to understand that, yes, your vagina is different than your arm because certain body parts, um, usually we say that parts that are covered up by a swimsuit um, are private and um, no one has the right to touch those areas with very few exceptions. Exceptions being, you know, if when people need help using the restroom, using a trusted adult, or when they're in um, needing health care for it and having their health care provider. But again, in that instance, we're not keeping secrets from parents. We're not being shameful about everything. So it's important for both providers to use the proper names and parents to use the proper names so that the, the kids can learn the proper names and learn that it is okay that you have these parts and don't be ashamed of them. So it sounds like it's really okay as your kid grows up, as you're like 
having discussions just to start with the correct anatomical terms from the get-go. So I would say that it is important to, when they're, when you're teaching body parts, you teach all the body parts, not just arm, leg, eyes, ears, but you also teach um, the body parts with the proper anatomical names. And you, you teach them at the same time you're teaching the other body parts. Um, along, you know, the safety messages, again, being the same about no one touches these areas without your permission. You don't keep secrets from mom or dad if someone tells you to keep a secret. But um, it's very important at as you're teaching body parts to teach all the body parts. And so that, that happens at a young age. And it might make parents feel uncomfortable. But for all the things Dr. Luelowitz said, it's really important to start right right from the get-go. And if you have any concerns about that, make sure you talk with your pediatrician because your pediatrician may have some advice as to how to handle certain situations or certain conversations. Yeah, we started day one with our children referring to body parts by their anatomical names. And um, there's been some funny things that have happened, you know, throughout that. My cha- my son was, you know, walking around telling everybody about his uterus. And of course, we explained <laughs> that he didn't have one, but... It was uh, it was interesting to hear his teacher's take on, you know, they're like, wow, he knows all of his, you know, anatomical terms already. So, yeah, start early, start young. I, I would encourage from day one. Well, let's start talking about some of those terms then. Um, we are, I guess, going to discuss in sort of a binary male female anatomy today, but knowing that there's a lot of variance um, even within that. So I was wondering, Brian, if we could start with uh, some of the basic terms to know for female anatomy as an OBGYN. I know this is kind of an area of specialty for you. Um, I guess let's start with the external anatomy. Um, can you walk us through some of the, the terms, um, what they are, kind of what they do? Yeah. So um, for the external anatomy, you have the vulva, which is the area, you know, it, it's defined as the borders of... Um, basically the mons pubis, which is the top kind of where your waistband would start. Um, and then all the way down to the perineum, which is, um, you know, where the um, anus would start. And then going out to the uh, lateral folds there. So where your legs, you know, connect to your pelvis. Um, and so that entire area is considered the vulva. Okay. And um, within that, there are multiple different, um, structures. Um, so there's the most prominent would be there's two skin folds. Um, there's that are called the labia. There is the labia majora, which are going to be the larger skin folds. And then there's something called the labia minora, which are going to be the smaller, uh, skin folds there. And then, um, those kind of connect at the top, which is the clitoris. And that's going to be the sensory organ, um, for the female. And then underneath that, you're going to have the urethra, which is where, um, urination happens. So, um, and then below that, there's going to be the vaginal canal. Okay. Um, and then from there kind of work into the, um, internal anatomy, which the vagina then connects to the uterus. Um, the uterus is kind of a large muscle that, um, is basically a, its main function is to hold a fetus during pregnancy. Um, but it's also the source of bleeding for when a woman, when a female has their menstrual cycle. Um, the, the connection, the uterus technically connects to the vagina. Um, there's an area called the cervix, 
which is just a, a thick muscular kind of neck. That's what cervix means. It means neck. And so that's where the connection is. Um, and then again, like the uterus is above that. And then off to the sides, um, women uh, or females have a uh, pair of fallopian tubes. The purpose of that is to transport an oocyte or an egg um, when they ovulate. And then there's um, two ovaries and ovaries produce hormones and they also produce produce oocytes, which for lack of a better term is the egg portion for um, when a pregnancy is uh, developed. I guess two terms I know that get used interchangeably and shouldn't. Um, and I just want to kind of review that and double down. Um, is a vagina and vulva. And so those are very different things and can be kind of, especially just in like general conversation, can be referred to as the same thing. Can we clarify one more time what each of those are and how they're different? Yeah, the vagina is a canal, okay, or a, I mean, a, a tunnel, I guess, you know, that connects the internal anatomy with the external anatomy. Um, and that is the, stru the structure, it, it's not external, so it's not outside of the body. The vulva, um, it's the external region that makes up the, the external genitalia. And um, some people also confuse the labia for the vulva, and they'll call it that. But the vulva is actually a much larger area than the labia are. And again, it, it's not the vagina. The opening of the vagina is within the vulva, but it's not part. It's not the same thing. External, one's external. Vulva is the broader external term. Vagina is an internal structure. Um, something that might be a little less familiar for our typical listeners on the Women's Health Cast, but um, is still very, very valuable to learn about, uh, would be some basic terms for male anatomy. And Paula, I was wondering if you could walk us through the external and internal reproductive organs for uh, male anatomy. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for doing the sidebar that when we say male, this is we're doing assigned male at birth. Um, I, we'll be talking at one of the future podcasts about um, sex versus gender identity versus sexual orientation that's coming down. So I will be saying male right now, and this is people who are assigned male at birth. So there are different parts, just, just like the female, there's the internal and the external. Um, the outer sexual anatomy for people assigned male at birth, we have the penis and the scrotum. And that's what you can see. The penis is made up of spongy tissue that fill up with the blood when someone becomes aroused or something, and that's called an erection. Um, and just like um, female anatomy, all penises can look different. Sometimes people still have their foreskin, which is the skin that t covers the tip of the penis. Some people have that. Some people have that removed um, during something called a circumcision. And so penises can look very, very different, just like... Um, vulvas can look very different and all of them are normal. That's one of the top questions I get is, some, is there something I, I don't look the same as someone else? Um, the um, tip of the penis, there's the, um, the urethra comes out and that's where pee comes and that's where the ejaculate come and pre-come is, is the term like ejaculate and pre-ejaculate um, come out of the urethra and so that comes out of the penis. Um, and... With the scrotum, that's um, I'm going to say some euphemisms for it so people know what we're talking about. These are like the testicles or the um, the balls. It's the sac of skin hanging below the penis, and that's called the, the medical uh, name, the appropriate term, is called the scrotum. Um, and the scrotum itself holds the testicles, so it's the 
um, sack of skin itself is the scrotum. Inside that is the testicles. And that is where semen's produced. Um, that's, uh, you, a lot of males will say that that's very sensitive. I, I don't have any, um, <laughs> I don't have experience with this, but um, that if you get kicked or something, that's very, it's a very sensitive. Um, also just, this is a little separate from it, but while we're talking about external for both uh, people assigned male and female, we also have the anus in back and um, just something so we don't forget about that. I'm just gonna say that that's um, the rectal opening where, um, where um, stool comes out when you're having a bowel movement, but also some people do use that for pleasure. So I did wanna make sure that um, we don't forget about the anus. So if we go through the intersex uh, sexual anatomy of someone who's assigned male at birth, we have the testicles, which are the, the two, um, the glands inside the scrotum that produce the sperm and the testosterone. We do have um, a bunch of different tubes and vesicles on the in the internal anatomy that help produce um, the sperm and where the sperm matures and it holds the semen prior to ejaculation. Um, it's a pretty complicated system in there. Um, but again, all of that leads to the urethra, which is the tube that carries both urine and semen out of the penis. So we've got a pretty good foundation now for um, anatomy. Uh, I think we've got some great terms defined. Um, my next question is about puberty. So this is this you know, time of hormonal change, but I don't know exactly how to describe it. Um, and I kind of am hoping that you guys can walk me through like what is puberty and what are some of the uh, changes or ha things that happen during this like stage of development. Yeah, I mean, puberty marks, I mean, the, the definition of it is that it's the physiologic transition from childhood to sexual reproductive maturity. Meaning that there's, you know, various changes in individuals that's leading them to the point where they could produce offspring or children. But um, but there's a lot of changes that happen to children during this time period. And, um, you know, it typically starts at age eight, um, but it could be later than that. I mean, early as age eight up to age 13 is typically when... For people assigned female specifically. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, what are the exact ages for, for males? So females, we usually think of eight to 13 and people assigned male nine to 14 typically. So um, female tends to start a little bit earlier, but again, it that's average, right? When, when, whenever we talk about averages, there's people who are earlier, people who are later. Um, yeah. And um, so from people who are, who, um, Sign female, they um, they tend to start with breast development. Um, that's called T-Lark. And then you have hair growth, which is pubark. And that can be hair in various different parts of the body, um, you know, on the vulva. Um, it can be, you know, arms, um, anywhere else that could be happening. Then, um, then you have something they call like a growth spurt where the children tend to grow quite a bit during during those years. And then menstruation, which is, um, or menarche, which is when a female starts to um, ovulate and have menstrual bleeding or their period, which is more commonly what that's referred to. And to reiterate what Ryan had just said, um, 
the this period of transition is actually starts in the brain. So you you see the outward physical appearances of in people assigned female breast development or um, people assigned male. You get you know. I'll, I'll go through that in a second, the testic, uh, testicles and penis growing in size and the growth spurt. But all of this actually starts at the brain. So um, you have two parts of your brain. You have um, the hypothalamus and the pituitary. They're there since birth. And it's not until your body is ready to make this change that the hormones itself are in the proper uh, frequency and they're at the proper levels. And they start telling people who are born with testes to go through, you know, release testosterone, start going through these changes. People born with ovaries release estrogen and start going through the changes associated with them. So again, puberty itself is this huge transition, but it really does start at the brain. And that's important when we talk about um, there are certain conditions where we may think that puberty is happening too early or for whatever reason, we, we don't want someone to go through a certain puberty. And um, we do medications that actually work at the brain level if we feel like people are going through puberty too early. So like we talked about, if people assign female, it tends to be 8 to 13 years of age. For males, it's a little bit later, on average 9 to 14 years of age. One of the first things we see is that um, it usually starts with the testicles getting bigger and the penis increasing in size. You get that dark, cur coarse, curly hair um, in the um, in just above the penis and on the scrotum, and then you start seeing um, erections where the penis is filled with blood and um, and erect. You see those more frequently, and sometimes you can see ejaculation, which is where um, it, the the um, sperm containing semen is actually released. And it's um, very common for this to happen in sleep. Um, so people either wake up in the morning with an erection, or they have um, ejaculation during their sleep. This is called a nocturnal emission or a wet dream. And those are super common and super normal. So uh, we get asked questions about that all the time. And after, um, we start seeing even more like um, hair growth in the armpits and on the face. You get the voice deepening and um, it, it kind of goes in a, it tends to go in an order. Not everyone follows the exact same roadmap, but it tends to go in order. Um, the shoulders will broaden where I think Ryan had said that in female, um, the hips widen. And so the, the distribution of, of fat and everything is different for people assigned male, for people assigned a female. And the growth spurt tends to be about 20 to 15, 12 to 15 years of age. And most people assigned male are done by 16, but obviously there are, we know people grow later. I'm thinking of some basketball players who grew a lot in college that they were, they started much shorter and um, tended to grow even after this age. So again, there's it's a spectrum, and there there are so many things within that spectrum that are considered normal. So we've talked a lot about uh, kind of physical changes and what to expect in our bodies with, during puberty and when it starts. And I'm wondering if there are also um, like emotional changes or things that we can kind of expect during puberty. How do our our brains and our feelings handle this change? I think this is a really confusing time for a lot of kids. They are going through physical changes. Um, and then as well as, as Dr. Cody mentioned, they're going through changes within their brain. They're starting to have these new hormones that are being released, you know, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. And, um, and I, how one's body and brain reacts to those is different for each individual. And, um, and so, so I think it's just, it's, it's a source of stress 
you know, that, that can be going on and how everyone handles that's a little bit different. And it's just, I think it's uncomfortable. So I think you can see that some of this is, is mediated by, you know, like if they're having emotional changes, I believe some of that can be mediated through the hormones, but also some of it is also just, you know, mediated through being in this stressful transition and, you know, maybe looking slightly different than your friends or, you know, having a new odor that you didn't notice and, you know, or, and, and, you know, new clothes and and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So um, this is changes in puberty is, is a time that we see a lot of body image changes. Sometimes, People look in the mirror and they're happy with what they're seeing. Sometimes they're not. It's happening at different ages. So you can imagine um, the age range we said before for someone assigned female is 8 to 13 years of age. So imagine an 8-year-old going through puberty and no one else going through these changes and their best friend is 13 or doesn't go through it to 13. Again, so where you're usually trying to be part of a peer group and if anything that's making you different than your peer group can be very stressful. Your um, The hormones are also changing how you view relationships and sometimes we, you see a little bit more sexual attraction to to whomever and but that's something that wasn't there before you're also um trying to you're doing a little bit of experimentation which is completely normal but the thing with the the brain is that the prefrontal cortex isn't formed until about 25 26 years of age so we have teenagers going through all these hormonal changes um and wanting to try to figure out what their boundaries are as far as independence goes and they're making a lot of decisions without the um without the executive functioning of the prefrontal cortex. So a lot, it's, it's very true that a lot of times there's some thinking about, like, I, I've heard about this risk-taking behavior, and um, I hear that it could be something bad could happen, but that's not going to happen to me. you got that magical thinking, thinking that something's different here. Or they do a lot of um, very decisions without thinking consequences through. Um, and we, we see that a lot. So these hormones don't Im- just change or impact how your body looks. It actually impacts how your brains function. And it, it, it's a rough time. So it's a very common time for eating disorders when people are um, not happy with how their bodies are changing, especially if it's changing different than, than their peer group. And it, it's, a, it's very complicated. Can you explain a little bit more about the prefrontal cortex? Because I think that's maybe new for me. <laughs> So the um, you have different parts of your brain. You have the the back of your brain, which is um, that makes all the you know like you will breathe. You will you know this is how your lungs are going to work. Your heart is going to beat. That that's way back by the brainstem. And the further front you go, the more complex your brain is. And your your decision making and being able to weigh pros and cons and um, really thinking things through, including consequences and less concrete thinking, if that makes sense. That is way up here. That's way in the front. And that doesn't mature until you're 25 years of age. And so um, that's why experimentation in risk-taking behaviors are so common in teenagers because oftentimes they're they're doing something based on a whim, on an impulse, very impulsive, because they're that part of the brain that helps you figure out conse- consequences and pros and cons isn't quite developed yet. But again, it's not until 25, 26. So we have people choosing what they want to do with their life in college and you know, able to drink and do all these things even legally before that prefrontal cortex is um, developed. So you mentioned, you both mentioned the typical age ranges for puberty from 8 to 13 for people who are assigned female at birth and from about 9 to 14 for people who are assigned male at birth. Um, What happens if uh, someone reaches sort of the 
older end of that age range and puberty hasn't started for them. Yeah, I think usually for for in our practice for, you know, OBGYN, if um, if we don't start seeing um, what we call secondary secondary sexual character uh, sex characteristics um, by age 14, then we usually start to kind of work the patient up and figure out, you know, is there is there something else going on that we're not seeing? Um, and then for um, females who haven't started their menstrual cycle by age 16, then we again start the same process. And the workup includes, um, can depending on what we see on exam, can include blood tests, um, usually a physical exam, hearing about their past medical history as well as their family's past medical history because the differential diagnosis for someone who hasn't had, for example, their first period by 16 years of age, which the fancy medical term is primary amenorrhea, is actually very long. It can be something going on in the brain. It could be something in, in the ovaries. It could be um, anatomy, exactly. And so it's, it's super, it's not too hard to figure out what's going on as long as we know what to look for. And so that's why we have... Um, like Ryan said, if they haven't had secondary sex characteristics, which would be breast development and hair growth, those are the secondary sex characteristics. Um, if those by a certain age, or if they haven't had a growth spurt or anything, like again, our, our hackles are up. We, we want to start, we start paying attention really closely. Um, for people assigned male, uh, it's, the, it's a little less um, because if someone hasn't had a period, it's pretty obvious that there's like a you've had a period or you haven't kind of thing. Um, it can be a little bit more difficult in people who are assigned male. But again, if they haven't had um, a growth spurt or they haven't had uh, the um, increasing in size of their testicles or their um, penis, then we again, um, we would start doing certain um, exams. Blood work is one of them. So sometimes we do an x-ray to look at the age of their bones to make sure are there are there bones um, matching the age that they are because hormones are involved with bone development. The same thing if, if people go through puberty too early, that's also a problem. So if someone has had, um, usually we say precocious puberty is before the age of eight. Um, in certain populations, it's actually seven. Um, certain populations um, experience puberty a little bit earlier than others. And so in the African-American or Latino populations, if it's before the age of seven, um, for other populations, it's before the age of eight. And um, there's problems when you go through puberty too early. So if you imagine, um, uh, say, for example, a five-year-old, a five-year-old born with ovaries going through puberty, why would we care about that? So we have a five-year-old who has to deal with periods, a five-year-old with breast development who looks older than five, five-year-old who could get pregnant. And also um, growth is something, like I said, the bone age and bone health is, is tied to hormones quite a bit. So um, that five-year-old, now suddenly has very little time to grow to get to adult height. And so we we want to make sure that they can we can get as much height as possible. Um, and it's same with a five-year-old born with testes. If they're going through puberty too early, one, we have to figure out why, because it, it's there could be something causing that. But also we want to make sure that we can um, give them the chance to be healthy as adults. And so we oftentimes will do something to block unwanted puberty from happening. So when should, you know, parents or supportive adults start talking about puberty and some of the changes to expect um, with the young people in their lives? Around what age do you, either of you, recommend families start having this conversation? It's considered abnormal if you're going through puberty before the age of seven or eight. And you don't want to wait until puberty has started to start telling them what's going on in their body, because that can be really traumatic if they haven't 
if they're the first of their peer group, if they haven't had any education about anything in schools, because it's very variable about what schools can be teaching about proper anatomy and sexual health and reproductive health. Um, and also it, it, it goes back to feeling like, is there a reason why you're not talking about it? Is it shameful? Is it anything like that? So for me, um, starting with anatomy, you start early whenever you're teaching anatomy or teaching the whole anatomy and making sure you're answering questions as they come up. And the questions can be, I have a four and a half year old and we, she knows where babies come from and um, where babies grow. She might, she messes up some of the terms, which is okay. Cause I think first year anatomy students in med school will mess up some of the terms too. Um, can't expect a four-year-old to be better than a, an adult, I don't think. But, um, but teaching them well before that information is needed, because I don't think you can teach be too early, but you can definitely be too late. Yeah, I agree. We, you know, I've always kind of used, you know, the, if, if, Children can ask a question, they deserve an answer. And um, we started with our children talking about the changes that are going to happen when they were fairly young, um, you know, and just we just wanted to make it something that was normalized in our household and that if they had questions that they could come to us and talk to us about it. And kids are pretty brilliant and they will definitely pick up on cues if you're uncomfortable talking about it they will pick up on that and they will be uncomfortable asking you about it. And so, again, starting with as much as you're comfortable with, but correct um, anatomy is a very good starting place because trying to take the shame out of it. And like I said earlier, if at any point you're concerned and want to know, is it too young to be talking about this, this is appropriate, then, you know, talking with your pediatrician is a, is a really good place to start. So not all of us have the benefit of being physicians who get to talk about this every day and practice this conversation several times. And um, a lot of us are coming at it from varying levels of comfort. Um, and I'm wondering if you have places to start recommended resources for like comprehensive, but also understandable, accessible, accurate information on anatomy, on puberty and development for adults who want to prepare for these conversations and even for kids who want to like do a little bit of independent learning? Um, there are quite a few books. Um, there, some are written for children of different ages, some are written for parents, some are for teens. And you do really want to match what the developmental level of that person is. So um, a couple of books that I've liked that, have, uh, that are medically accurate, um, one of them is called It's Not the Stork. And that's by uh, Robbie Harris, and that's for ages four years and up. Um, one book we also have at our house is something called What Makes a Baby? And that's by Corey Silverberg and Fiona Smith. And the nice thing about What Makes a Baby is that um, I feel like it's, it's more inclusive of different ways that babies are made because a lot of the um, education is regarding, you know, mom and dad. But, you know, sometimes there's two moms or two dads or... Um, a single parent and you know it includes that this is what happens but it doesn't have to be between a mom and a dad it can be you know including of in vitro fertilization or adoption and all that kind of stuff like a family is a little bit different so i like the resources that are all inclusive for those there are also some good um resources i'm sorry ryan one um t uh, for the special needs population that i'm a, a big fan of um terry cohenhoven is a social worker um, in Wisconsin who um, specializes in sexual health education of special needs people. 
Um, and she has teaching children with Down syndrome about their bodies, boundaries, and sexuality. And I feel like that's an excellent book for um, people with uh, cognitive delay or special health needs. Uh, from an online standpoint, um, healthychildren.org is a good website and resource for a lot of information. Um, there's another one too. I've, I, I was when I was searching for resources, finding good anatomy pictures to show was also difficult. Um, kidshealth.org was another organization that did have good anatomy pictures for, um, you know, to, to be able to, you know, show children if they were interested in, in what the anatomy looks like. They had internal and external as well. And two more plugs for websites. Both of them are out of Boston Children's. It's youngwomenshealth.org and youngmenshealthsite.org. Medically accurate, written at an appropriate age level for, um, I'd say, teens and um, uh, reputable source being Boston Children's. So I've got just one more question for us today. And this question actually came from a youth advocate who works with providers and teens communicating for health, an organization here in um, Wisconsin. And I'm very grateful that we had a chance to work with Patch and source a bunch of questions for this whole series, for lots of episodes in this series from real young people, real teens in Wisconsin. So these are their real questions. Um, and this is the question we got in that fit kind of in anatomy and puberty. I've heard about early puberty for girls, but is there an early puberty for boys? And if so, are there any risks with early puberty for boys? That's a great question. And we did talk a little bit more about the early puberty for girls. And remember, um, precocious puberty or early puberty for girls is before the age of seven or eight. And there is precocious puberty for boys, and that's um, typically considered pubertal changes before the age of nine. Some of these puberty changes include um, enlargement of the testicles, enlargement of the penis, or a growth spurt. Um, and precocious puberty can affect both boys and girls. And one of the things we get most concerned about is actually height, because once puberty starts, there's basically a time clock about how much growth you have left in your bones. And people who have hit their growth spurt early may not actually reach their um, what their adult height should have been because of going through puberty early. And so those that's one of the biggest concerns we get um, that we, we watch for. And we may end up doing something to stop puberty to give people time in order for them to get more growth under their belt before their growth um, plates close in their bones. There's also, I mean, again, to add in, there are some social um, and emotional impacts of going through puberty early. And we talked about for um, someone born with ovaries going through puberty early, suddenly it's a, you know, for example, if they went through puberty at five, then a five-year-old has breast development. A five-year-old has to manage menses. A five-year-old um, could get pregnant. Um, so those are all actual risks. And for um, a person born with testes going through puberty, for example, at five years of age, we'll say, again, it's anything before the age of nine, but um, suddenly the nine-year-old is much taller than the classmates and the deepening of the voice and all those kind of things. And so there can be some social and emotional impacts as well. Thank you both so much for um helping clarify some anatomy terms, helping us kind of lay a good foundation for what I know is going to be a very exciting rest of this series. Um, I'm just so glad you could both join me today. Thank you. Thanks for Thanks having for us. 
All the resources shared by Dr. Cody and Dr. Llewellwitz in this episode are linked in the episode description. You can find the links at womenshealthcast.podbean.com or in the description of this episode on your preferred podcast app. As the doctors mentioned in this episode, having a period is a common marker of puberty for people with a female anatomy. On the next episode of the Women's Healthcast, we will get back to the basics of the menstrual cycle, answering your common questions about periods. The Women's Healthcast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can listen to the Women's Healthcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing, rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what issues you'd like to learn about at the link in our episode description. Thanks for listening.